How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome in to another edition of Booze and Baseball, episode number 41, the uh, Tom Seaver episode, <laughs> I believe. It's pretty close um, to that. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Affelt. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, with Dusty Baker, Derek Johnson here. We are back after a bit of a hiatus, a bit of a lockout, one could say, which brings it to our Throw It Back Baseball Stat of the Week. The 1994 to 1995 baseball strike. Well, that's what we're in now, but hopefully not as many games are missed. There were 948 games canceled. The lockout began on August 12th of 1994, killed off the World Series that year. Then it lasted until April 2nd of 1995. MLB owners wanted a cap on players' salaries, sounds kind of familiar, and the implementation of local broadcast revenue sharing. Um, The MLB Players Association refused, and the team that it hurt the most, as I mentioned, without the World Series, the Montreal Expos, which uh, didn't ever win a World Series, and I guess if you count uh, the whole franchise is coming over with the Nationals finally winning the World Series, but uh, they went 74-40 and 40 that year. They would have had a great shot at doing so. That completely sucks, and as somebody who has been affected by something like, I, you know, this is different because it was COVID-related, but Kansas basketball was going to be the by far tournament favorite, number one overall seed in 2020 tournament gets canceled. It sucks when that happens and you don't even get to see it play out. You don't even have a real shot at winning a title. So I feel bad for all the Montreal fans and uh, who knows, maybe you'll have a new baseball team with uh, the Rays moving up there at some point. Yeah. Who would have thought that uh, the new rumor coming out is that Montreal would be splitting with Tampa Bay half and half. I mean, uh, the world's getting weirder every day, I feel like, but yeah, uh, we are in a bit of a lockout ourselves, and uh, we're glad to be back on this podcast. Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, hopefully, you're listening as you're driving to see family and friends. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't give you the gift of baseball yet, and uh, that's a little bit un- a little sad for us because, yeah, it's it's been – I mean, Derek, you can, you can probably agree with me here. We're drinking more than we normally do. Uh, I'm having uh, a mimosa right now, and uh, what are you having? I'm just drinking straight water, baby. H2O. Straight H2O for for the job. The Bobby Boucher special. <laughs> the Bobby Boucher special is honestly the best special. So maybe we need to be the water boys and go out and make our own league at this point. Because, yeah, the, the lockout sucks. And, uh, you know, it, what we're going to try and do is keep this a, a positive podcast. And 
and look forward to what this 2022 season can really look like. But as Derek mentioned, I mean, the lockout's a real thing. And, and the biggest concern to me is that we don't get the season to start on time. Uh, if you're a fantasy owner, that will impact, you know, your keepers. That will impact when you're doing your draft. So, yeah, this is this is a legitimately a, a really tough time for Major League Baseball, for the game itself. Uh, and, and from a fantasy perspective, I mean, I, I can speak on Derek's behalf when I say both of us lost in uh, our early part of our seasons and or, our playoffs, if you will. And uh, to have to sit and wait for basically we don't know how long, that's a real bummer. Yeah, it is. Um, that definitely sucks because as a lot of people especially, like I think it's going to hit hardest if this isn't solved by the time that like the football season's over. You know, we get to the point when the Super Bowl's going on or even like after conference championship week and there's that week off in between during what's normally the Pro Bowl. And it's a week later this year anyway, so that would be in February. And I think a lot of people at that point maybe start to, you know, get into the mode of, all right, let's get into our fantasy baseball draft season or start doing prep work, depending how early you do your draft or not. And that, if it's not solved, is just going to feel kind of crummy because you're not going to know when the season's going to start. You're going to start worrying, are we going to miss games? Are we going to have to wait even longer for the season to start, wait even longer for fantasy leagues to start? All that stuff, and that that really is unfortunate. And it sucks for the uh, the Montreal Expos. Want to go back to that because they had a six fifty, uh, technically six forty nine, uh, record winning uh, winning percentage, which is just insane. So let's hope let's hope we're not stuck with another shortened season. We want one sixty two. Yeah. By the way, the uh, six forty nine win percentage is equivalent to like a hundred and five win season. That team was uh, very good. Um, okay, we're going to get on to our segment, kind of going through some free agents. There are a lot to catch up on, so we're going to play a little game of sip or send back. If you sip, that means their fantasy value you think goes up by their new location. If you send it back, that means it goes down. I guess you can also just mildly deal with it. Um, and then we can also talk about kind of the, the real-life impact as well as the fantasy impact if you want. But uh, we'll start with the Texas Rangers, who have three big signings. We didn't put, you know, a bunch of, like, minor league signings or anything on here. But uh, Corey Seager, 10 years, $325 million. Marcus Simeon, 7 years, $175 million. John Gray, 4 years, $56 million. I'll leave the floor to you with the Texas Rangers in these three big signings. Yeah, uh, Seager's are the most interesting, obviously, out of these three. They're clearly building, especially for the future. It's not necessarily a win today, win tomorrow, win now type of move, but... Uh, it's it's pushing them in that right direction, and hey, they they may be one signing away from possibly doing that, or or a guy like Josh Young coming up. I'm gonna actually say that Seager's value is going to uh, to rise, and so because of that, I am gonna sit. And I think for Seager's purposes, it's gonna be interesting because he's gonna be hitting in the three hole the entire time uh, with this Texas team, and so. Uh, in my opinion, I think he's going to see the ball better because he's going to have guys like who I'm going to talk about in a sec here, Marcus Semien, hitting above him. I think when Josh Young comes up, he'll hit behind him. Uh, Seager's going to be kind of in the heart of that lineup. And also, you know, you can make the argument that uh, despite the fact that the Rangers ballpark is awkwardly shaped, it's a little bit bigger. Seager's had a ton of success there as well. He actually holds the, mo the record for the most home runs at that stadium um, in a postseason. And so, uh, you know, he just turned it on there. He sees the ball well there. At Dodger Stadium, the weird thing is he was getting hurt and inconsistencies for him really 
really hurt him this past season. Uh, I think knowing that the DH for sure will be in the American League, uh, while we're kind of uncertain with the National League, if Seager has an injury or you know something's just not right with him, they can always move him to the DH. I, I just think that they're going to play it safe with him. And uh, I don't know. I, I like his value. I sip him. Uh, Marcus Semyon, I'm not feeling the exact same way. I think Toronto is a launching pad. He was in a lineup that he could only thrive in. So I'm going to send it back. Uh, as for John Gray, I'm chugging this. I'm not even sipping this. I think John Gray needed to get out of course. He needed the opportunity to, to pitch for somebody that actually could give him a chance day in, day out. Uh, and I love what he offers fantasy value-wise in Texas, in a stadium that he probably should be pitching about a billion times better. We've always talked about his ERA plus and kind of how that's looked. And, and so for that reason, I'm not just sipping, I'm chugging John Gray. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm just staying the same on Corey Seager. Uh, the ballpark is a bit of a tougher hit, hitter's ballpark um, in general, but like you said, he's done well there in the past. It's just a bit of a smaller sample size. I am worried about the lineup protection. I, I don't think their lineup is very good right now. Um, so I'll, I'll just, it'll stay the same to me. Um, with Marcus Simeon, I would agree. I would probably slightly go down on that one. I, I don't even know how much Marcus Simeon, me kind of sending it back, would be more about the fit in Texas versus... Just I don't know that he repeats how great of a season he had. I so it might just be that. But either way, I, I don't think he's going to repeat what he did with Toronto. So in, in that sense, send it back. And then John Gray, like you said, I, I'm sipping it. I am, um, I don't know, I'm not full-fledged in on, on John Gray having this elite season or anything like that. I, I think some of his pitching repertoire was kind of morphed into pitching in Coors Field. So... Um, I think it kind of remains to be seen if like if he's going to use the same repertoire he used in in Coors in Arlington then then I don't know like it'll be better just because easier ballpark but I don't know how much better if he adjusts his pitch mix or what he's using and so forth then I think he could have who knows maybe even up to an all-star level season um so definitely sip on John Gray um, yeah, stay the same on Seager and then kind of sending back on Simeon. As far as the Rangers as a team in general, there's still work to be done. Like I said, there's still some holes, I think, in the lineup. There's still some holes in the pitching staff. Uh, there's still some holes in the bullpen. Um, this isn't the most complete team. I do appreciate their spending and they're moving toward winning, and I think they're going to spend more and, and get more contributions. This might be a kind of two-year process, though. This might be something where it takes next offseason as well. More guys start to come up from the minors for them to start being real competitors. But I think at the very least, like, they'll be they'll be competitive in the fact of they should be around 500 at this point. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, I would just say the two names to watch out for them uh, are Cur Clayton Kershaw. I mean, it just feels almost obvious or imminent at this point. Uh, if the Dodgers hadn't already retained him, you just kind of feel like he's moving on to either retirement or more likely than not going back home to Texas. The other one that I will throw out there, though, he's an offensive player, and I, I kind of like the fit. And we'll talk about him a little bit later, but it's Nick Castellanos. I, I see a fit there. Um, I think you talk about lineup protection. Uh, they could use another guy that's really a proven corner outfielder, and uh, that that is the kind of guy that I could see fit that lineup. Okay, New York Mets, Max Scherzer, three-year, $130 million deal. Starling Marte, four for 78. Mark Canna got two for 26 and a half. 
and Eduardo Escobar, two years for $20 million. Big shopping spree for the New York Mets. Who are you sipping? Who are you sending back? Well, the Max Scherzer deal, uh, man, I wish he got paid more. Uh, let's be honest, right? <laughs> he breaks the AAV, AAV record, which is just unbelievable. Um, it's crazy to see these, these prices skyrocket for a guy in his late 30s. I, I, I'm not either sipping nor sending back Scherzer. I'm kind of doing what you're doing. I, I kind of think it's just the same. Max Scherzer, it, you kind of know what to expect from him. And until he shows signs of really any regression, uh, not a lot to worry about there. The dead arms scared me a little bit in the playoffs, but, you know, the Dodgers also used him in awkward uh, situations. I think the Mets are going to hopefully learn from that. Then again, they are the Mets. Starling Marte, I'm going to sip. I like him in that ballpark. Uh, I think it's a much better lineup for him to be a part of, to score runs. Uh, and so in that sense, improvement, uh, pretty significant for me from going from Oakland to New York. Mark Hanna, I'll sip as well, because I, I say the same thing. These two are going to benefit in the same at, uh, respect. The only hard thing for Canna is if he doesn't produce early on, is he going to be spelled of his job? We, we don't know. We don't know what that's going to look like. The DH is going to play a pretty decent role if, if it is implemented in the National League. Uh, so Canna's more of a TBD, but I, I, I would say that I'm still sipping um, just simply because I like the opportunity that he has to see better pitches in that lineup. And then finally, Eduardo Escobar, I think this is more of a low risk. Uh, kind of. He, he's always been a versatile player. I probably will send it back. Uh, I was sending him back even before this move as well, just because I think his value continues to kind of drop off. He's on the older end, and I don't think people realize how much older he is. He's still got 35 home run power, but uh, it's a matter of can he produce outside of hitting bombs. So that, that's kind of where I sit at this time with them. Yeah, Scherzer for me is is just kind of a, you know, mildly enjoy it. Uh, it's not better, it's not worse. He just is a really good pitcher. He's going to, you know, a situation that it is what it is. I guess, if anything, maybe you worry about the Mets' trouble with keeping pitchers healthy. Um, so that wouldn't be great. But uh, you see Buck Showalter. Actually, maybe I'm convincing myself just because they, they hired Buck Showalter. Maybe that in itself is enough for a sip because of the fact that um, Buck Showalter, I, I think, is less inclined to use some of the analytics and is going to not as often pertain to the, you know, you've made it two th times through the order, you've gone five innings, you're out. I think he's going to give him more leeway for going deep into games. So from that standpoint, his fantasy value could go up because he can get more totals, he can get more strikeouts, he can get all that stuff, uh, more quality starts, you know, everything wins. Um, so honestly, maybe it's a slight sip for me, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, Starling Marte, uh, I think it's about the same. I don't know if he's going to have as good of a season as he did last year, but I like the fit. Should be an everyday guy. Uh, he's always had injury history, though, and that kind of scares me. Mark Canna, two years, 26 and a half. I love Mark Canna, but the problem is, I, if you look at this, unless there's like a trade to come, which there absolutely could be, the Mets outfield is almost too loaded. Now, we know everybody will get at-bats, but if it's the difference between Mark Canna being an everyday guy, getting 600 at-bats or 600 plate appearances and getting, you know, 500 plate appearances, that's, that's a pretty big dip in what your value can be. Totally Especially agree. when you're mainly an on-base guy where you're trying to tally up as many of those walks and everything as you can. And the Mets now in the outfield have Mark Canna, Starling Marte, Brandon Nemo, 
Uh, J.D. Davis can play the outfield. Jeff McNeil can play the outfield. Dominic Smith can play the outfield. That's a lot of guys, and, and a lot of them that I mentioned can play other positions too. So it's not that, you know, again, they will still get plenty of plate appearances, but if it is the difference between 50, 100, 70 different plate appearances, that's a slight, you know, uh, devalue to me. So I, I would uh, maybe send back on, on Mark Canna. And then, yeah, Eduardo Escobar, I... I just, he is what he is. Maybe, honestly, it's a slight send back because all those guys I mentioned, like J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith, the other position that a lot of them can play is the corner of the infield. And uh, Eduardo Escobar is an infielder, so maybe you lose some time there as well. Uh, I just am, an, am not really buying Eduardo Escobar a ton anywhere anyway for the value. So uh, that just kind of is what it is. But as far as the Mets go as a team, I think that, I don't know, maybe you view them as the favorites in the division. I know the Braves just won the World Series, but they only won 88 games. And if you see the Mets roster now, if everything goes right, this should be a team that wins more than 80 games. At the very least, they should be in it for a possible wild card. I, I agree. And they've improved significantly to the point where I think the depth is there. And uh, the rotation of just, think about this. You go into an NLDS and have to face possibly a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer. You could go DeGrom, Scherzer, uh, and then you, you at that point you sit back and you think that the Mets' other options aren't all that bad in their rotation either. Um, but even then, I mean, they're losing Stroman, which, yeah, that hurts-ish, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the locker room presence that's not missed. That guy is kind of a nutcase. We'll get back to him in a little bit. But um, in general, you go from those two – uh, to Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker um, in uh, Game Three, possibly in need Game Four. You have Degrom again. Game Five, you have Scherzer. I mean, that team is going to be very tough to beat if they make the playoffs. Um, just in that respect. So yeah, I, I like what the Mets have a lot. As you turn your attention to to the next squad, how about a team that has really had a difficult time making it to the playoffs, which is the LA Angels. Uh, Mike Trout hoping to get some talent around him. Uh, we can almost make an argument. It's also Shohei Otani's team. It's a, it's the two best players in baseball, basically, and uh, they still can't make the playoffs. So they add Noah Syndergaard uh, for one year, $21 million. They bring back Rysel Iglesias for four years, uh, $58 million. And then Aaron Loop, a two-year, $17 million deal. Um, as for sipping and sending it back, with Noah Syndergaard, I, I – I haven't bought him for a little bit now. He's 29 years old. Um, he'll be entering his age 30 season. What concerns me about Syndergaard is I wonder, A, if his health is still even close to what it should be uh, for him to make this kind of money. But for a fantasy perspective, I mean, you could be buying very, very low on this guy. Uh, and in a ballpark where the ball doesn't necessarily fly, um, I, I kind of like it, actually. I'll, I'll probably sip on that uh, because of that. Uh, but the concern for me is he has shown he only has three pitches. Uh, that's in a very limited sample size, but he needs to get a slider back because he was throwing his changeup uh, for a while there, uh, the majority of the time, and he was kind of getting rocked with the changeup. So he's going to have to shake that thing back up um, and, and kind of mix in what should be five pitches instead of his core three. Um, as for our man, Rysel Iglesias, it's the same kind of thing with uh, you know, Scherzer, it's like you're just sipping and enjoying because Rysel Iglesias is one of the best closers in baseball. Um, you know, he kind of has put himself on that pedestal, I would say, from his past season, which was really good. Uh, and so I, I think that it was a good signing for the Angels. And then finally, Aaron Loop. I love that move for the Angels' perspective. 
for fantasy purposes, he may end up getting a ton of holds, actually. And so if you play in a holds league, um, I, I really like the move a lot. I, I would say that's a huge sip as well. Um, if you don't play in a holds league, then it's nothing. And you should ignore this conversation. Yeah, Aaron Loop is really, really good. Um, I would definitely get to know him, like you said, if you're in a holds league. Rysel Iglesias was fantastic last year. I'd expect that to continue this year as well. Syndergaard, like you said, it's interesting, but I mean, his career ERA is a 3.3. Like, he's been a really good pitcher. So, even if there's a slight drop off from what he was, if he has a 380 ERA, he has value. Um, I think from where he's going currently in, in fantasy drafts, he's probably worth above where that is, but it is a risk, obviously, with everything going on. So, you have to create some insulation on your fantasy roster with other guys who maybe you do know you're going to get innings out of. Um, but I. I it's not necessarily that I love the fit or anything. I just kind of like the pitcher himself in Noah Syndergaard and think that he will bounce back. I guess this all helps the Angels, but it's unfortunate because they're unless they're willing to go into the um, luxury tax, and, and who knows what the situation will be with that uh, via the lockout, if it'll go up, if it'll be a salary cap, if it'll change it all. Um, but they almost have to go into that with how strapped they are on their salary right now, especially knowing that a Shohei Otani extension is looming, and they don't really have many other areas unless they're willing to do that to get much better, which is unfortunate because it feels almost like to me now you're kind of banking on, okay, we're going to need a fully healthy season from both Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. We're going to need a fully healthy season and a bounce back year from Anthony Rendon. We're going to need all these young guys to come up and do well for us, like Joe Adele and uh, need some young pitchers to come up and do well for us. You're, you're just banking on a lot to go right, and it all could, it very well could when you have those type of front of uh, front end talented guys. It makes the, the margins a little bit uh, easier for you to get on those other guys, but um, I just, I still don't view this as a playoff team. Um, and I don't know if we compared like, like who, who do you think is better right now? The angels or the Rangers? Oh, Rangers. I mean, and the crazy thing is on paper, it should be the angels because you have the likes of trout. You have the likes of Otani. You have Anthony Rendon, uh, three key players. Rendon was the massive signing in the off season, um, you know, heading into the uh, 2020 year. And so I don't know. I, I just, to me, I think the Rangers have possibly this on paper momentum, if that makes any sense. It's the idea of the excitement around the organization and then the hopes for something new and, uh, you know, a new culture being built there. And, and for the Angels purposes, it just kind of feels like they've been in such a stagnant, held back kind of mode. Um, and it could be the tone that they have with the manager, too, in terms of having Matt in there old school. I don't know. I, I just to me, I'd rather have the Rangers. What about you? I think I'd still slightly lean Angels just because of the potential there. I think they have a higher ceiling, but they probably also have a lower floor. Um, but I would I would lean Angels there. But it's close. The fact that it's even a conversation is very odd. Okay, uh, Detroit Tigers. Javier Baez, six years, $140 million. Eduardo Escobar, five years, 77. What do you think of those two? Well, they're players that just look like their teams. I've said that in the past. And Javier Baez has always, to me, looked like a Detroit Tiger. So good job, Tigers, for, for netting that guy. Um I think for his fantasy value, it drops off, though. I am sending it back. And that's simply because the lineup around him, uh, it's going to take some time to produce. I think by the time it does, he may be in more of a drop-off stage in his career. I think he's kind of hit his climactic point of his career. Um, and he's lost Wrigley Field, which the ball flies in. So 
that really is a bummer for fantasy owners' perspective. I think you're going to expect more around 25 home runs from Baez. The RBIs will probably still come a pretty decent amount. That's that's always been Javier's uh, kind of thing. Is his his little niche right there is RBIs. Uh, but I'm going to say I'm going to send it back on Javier Baez. Eduardo Rodriguez, though, he's going to pitch in a ballpark that favors him. Um, he's pitching in a better division to to for a pitching perspective. Um, just the lineups are weaker. Uh, he doesn't have to go through that gauntlet of an ALE schedule time and time again. I'm, I love what he's going to offer fantasy-wise. I'm, I'm sipping that big time. I think that's a great signing. I think uh, Eduardo, is, when he's healthy, he, he's arguably one, one of the top pitchers in the league. I really believe that. And I think he's just been overshadowed. Uh, this guy can get you 200-plus strikeouts a season. So, yeah, I really like that signing a lot. Um, and I think his fantasy value, he's going to become possibly a top 100 player. Um, so as far as Baez, I, I think it's a, I don't know, honestly, it might be a sip. I'm not really in on, on the fantasy profile of Javier Baez, especially in a dynasty league, like long term, but in a one year league, I, I kind of like this fit, not necessarily anything about like the ballpark or the lineup protection or anything, just because of the fact that you know, he's going to play every day. You're paying him that much money. You don't have a ton of other competition for him. He's going to get every day at bats, which is great. That's going to help you rack up totals. So from that standpoint, SIP for, I guess, the short term, but I'm still kind of sending it back for the long term just because of the profile. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, good bounce back, I think, is coming for him. So uh, I like that. Uh, no matter really where he would have signed, I would have liked the bounce back for him. Um, so I like that. As far as the Tigers overall, obviously, they're, they're kind of in the same boat as the Rangers. Like, there's still holes to fill, whether it comes from prospects or you know, other signings that, that have to be made that just haven't yet. So it's, it's, it's kind of incomplete right now for them to turn into a contender. But I think you, uh, the one thing you can do with like the Tigers that I don't think you can really do with the Rangers is you can convince yourself there's going to be a bunch of self um, or internal improvement within specifically like the pitching staff. Because like if Casey Mize goes from being a, you know, basically like average starter to being a good starter this year. And if Tark Scooball, like same thing, you see all these jumps from Matt Manning and Tark Scooball and Casey Mize, then all of a sudden you have kind of a formidable rotation with them and Eduardo Rodriguez. And then you, you know, maybe make a move at the trade deadline, get a little bit better. Let's not forget they weren't the bad team last year. Um, I think there's a real chance that they could finish second in that division. Like the the Guardians could fall off by trading Jose Ramirez or by just, you know, continuing to kind of be a, a poverty franchise. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like I, the Twins could bounce back and, and stuff and the Royals could get better. But I think that the number two spot behind the White Sox is wide open in that division in the AL Central. And why not the Tigers? I completely agree. I, I love that. One other team that uh, has not made the playoffs since 2001, that would be the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and, man, they reeled in a big one. Robbie Ray, who, uh, you know, we have a joke within our own fantasy league that he is the GOAT. And he is. He is the GOAT. He's the Cy Young of the American League. He now goes out west. Uh, after having kind of a rough couple of years uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Goes to Toronto, absolutely dominates. Signs a five-year deal worth $115 million. They also trade for Adam Frazier. Um, for Robbie Ray's purposes, you know, it's so hard because from this perspective, it's almost like saying you're expecting him to be a Cy Young again, which is just unrealistic. Um, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of a drop back in numbers, but I love this location. I think that he's going to pitch well in Seattle. 
you know, the air is dense, uh, especially when the uh, the marine layer kind of comes in um, late at night. So when he's in a night game, expect the ball not to fly very well. And I, I just, I don't know, you watch it with Marco Gonzalez. Uh, he seems to really thrive there in that ballpark. And I think Robbie Ray is going to do even better, to be honest. So I sip this. I, I think it's a good spot for him, especially because this organization is kind of turning the corner, it feels like. And that leads me to Adam Frazier. I, I think this is a great move. They bought low on a guy that the Padres bought too high uh, at the deadline. And so to me, I think Frazier just kind of fits the Seattle personality. He fits the culture. As for a fantasy perspective, I think you're going to see his numbers improve after really dropping off in Seattle or in, in San Diego. Um, I think you're going to see him become fantasy rele- relevant once again, kind of either at the top of that lineup or Maybe they will have him near the bottom. It's going to be interesting uh, to monitor where they have Kellenic and uh, whenever they call up Julio Rodriguez, that's going to be a big move for them. Um, but they've got a pretty decent lineup, a pretty underrated one, and I think they still have another move in them. Uh, but Seattle has made two very good moves, in my opinion, this offseason to really put them. I, I personally believe if Carlos Correa goes somewhere else, the Mariners have a real shot to win this division. Yeah, uh, Robbie Ray, great signing, and uh, it's always tough to figure out when you have a guy who has kind of like a, almost like a bounce back season, like is it something that's sustainable, or was it just like everything kind of added up that one year? Um, Like for instance, Kevin Gossman had the bounce back season 2019, or 2020, sorry, mixing up my years, and then this past year was just as good, if not even better, because it was a bigger sample size. Um, I think that's the case with Robbie Ray. I think he found something that is sustainable, and it's throwing strikes. And we saw that right away. He had the spring training start where he had like 28 strikes to two balls, and that was kind of a a signal. It should have been to all of us, but we just still kind of wanted to see more from him, that maybe he was a little bit different this year. And I think that's something he sustains moving forward. So uh, I I would, you know, to me it's, it's the same as it was. He was a really good pitcher last year. I think he'll be a really good pitcher this year. It's not that he goes up or down. Adam Frazier, I agree. I guess he goes up from where he was with the Padres, but down from where he was from the Pirates. But they gave 377 plate appearances to Dylan Moore last year, who hit under 190. Adam Frazier, basically, in my eyes, is going to take over the Dylan Moore role, which is kind of utility infielder, play some outfield, play all over the field for uh, the Mariners, pinch hit some, uh, be a backup for multiple different guys, just get a bunch of plate appearances that way um, in kind of a utility role, and I see him doing well in that spot. Um, Not a guy that I'm going to go crazy for to draft, but, you know, if you're in a later round and you need some batting average or something, then maybe Adam Frazier is the way to go. Uh, And I like what you're saying. Mariners could definitely be a real contender in that division, and, and who knows, maybe they can uh, make a run in the playoffs if they do uh, make it there. Okay, the Dodgers. Uh, we mentioned Andrew Heaney on our last show, signed a one-year $8 million, so we don't really need to go into that one a ton, but Chris Taylor signed a four-year $60 million deal. Yeah, uh, you know what? This may sound crazy because Corey Seager is the better player overall, but um, in terms of bat and value, but I think Chris Taylor was the most important signing the Dodgers could have made out of retaining their guys. And the reason behind that is his utility role. They, they really needed a guy that can play all over the place. Dave Roberts loves to mix and match. So in the real life situation, that's huge. And also for fantasy, because expect that Chris Taylor is still going to maintain a second base, shortstop, uh, outfield, possibly even third base eligibility, just depending on what Dave Roberts does. Uh, my guess is 
part of the signing, the Dodgers kind of had a, a little closed-door handshake saying Chris Taylor is going to get a certain number of at-bats and uh, be able to play a certain number of games because there's no reason why Chris Taylor would sign with the Dodgers unless he was told that he was going to be a starter or given the opportunity of that of a starter, which he wasn't given for uh, some of last season, even though he was an all-star. And, and so from a fantasy perspective, he really dropped off. Derek was an owner of him and uh, even dropped him in our league because he was so frustrated by how he was producing towards the end. Uh, you know, it, it was a massive cold streak. Then you saw what he did in the postseason, and that guy is just made with ice in his veins. I, I think he's going to carry that over to 2022, and he's going to be fantasy relevant, and he's going to help you out, uh, especially because he can offer so many different positions. I said yeah, I, I still like him a lot overall. Um, he, he's a really good player. I, I wanted the Giants to get him. Um, we'll get into this in a bit, but a little frustrated. The Giants haven't, um, I don't know. They have the money. Break the bank. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dodgers, really good. They signed a good player. Chris Taylor, good. Draft him in fantasy. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays. All right, these are all, we have teams who have basically just gave one guy a contract. We have the Blue Jays, Kevin Gossman, five years, 110. Uh, the Cubs got Marcus Stroman, three for 71. The Astros, Verlander, two for 50. The Marlins got Avisael Garcia, four years, 53. And the Cardinals got Steven Matz, four years, 44. Which of those stick out to you? Which of those would you send back? And if, you know, you don't really have um, an opinion on anybody, then no need to mention it, I guess. I, I would say that I like uh, Kevin Gosman, but I'm not a huge fan of the location going from San Fran to Toronto, so I probably will be sending that one back fantasy-wise. But I would say the one I'm sipping, I, I sip the Justin Verlander because he's still committed to being in this league for two years. And, um, you know, it sounds like he's coming, making a comeback. And, uh, you know, his fantasy value has dropped off significantly when in reality he probably will still offer the same value or close to the same value he did prior to having uh, been out with his injury. So that's kind of where I sit with that. Yeah, um, like you said, uh I don't know what the deal is going to be with the Gossman one. The Stroman one is just weird. Like, I don't know. I, I don't... Uh, on, on one hand, I I get it with the Cubs. Like, as soon as they spend money, everybody's like, what are you doing? I thought you were trying to tank. But then everybody, when they're tanking, is like, oh, this is so disgusting that you would have such a big market team trying to tank. It's like, well, they just spent money. So what do you? which one do you want? Um, but... It is what it is. I, I don't exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that gives him a lot of innings because he's with the Cubs. I don't view that as affecting much. I, I like Verlander with the Astros. Uh, you know that he's gonna. You know he he's had success there, so you don't have to worry about that. And then yeah, Stephen Matz. Like I don't know. Uh, good pitcher last year, but I think everything went right for him. He's at a good pitcher's ballpark. I, I'd probably sell just because of the performance, but do like the situation for him. Okay, there's a bunch of uh, reliever signings as well. Kendall Graveman, 324 to the White Sox. Hector Neris, 217 to the Astros. Daniel Hudson, 1 for 7 with the Dodgers. Mark Melanson, 214 with the Diamondbacks. Kirby Yates, 2 for about 8 with the Braves. Any of those stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, I would say for Kendall Graveman, it's a real bummer for fantasy owners if you don't have holds because... Uh, or even if you do, because his share of holds is going to be impacted by Craig Kimbrell. Um, and then obviously they already have the best closer in all baseball, in my opinion, right there. So kind of tough, but that bullpen is going to be really good. The real world aspect is great uh, for the fantasy value that I do like, though. I feel like 
the for the few games the Diamondbacks will actually win. It's going to be close games, and so Mark Melanson will have probably around you know thirty to forty opportunities to close and shut down games with the Diamondbacks. I, I like that one. Um, and they haven't really had a proven closer in a long time, so that's why you really don't expect saves to come out of there. Uh, this may be the first one that they've had in a while. I, I like that one. Yeah, I, I am just worried, though, that Mark Melanson would be a guy that they would dish at the trade deadline, and then he goes to a team and he's like the seventh inning guy, but I don't know. We'll see there. Um, I'm just not a big Mark Melanson guy in general, <laughs> which was ironic because I had him on my team this past year. Yes, and you did. Boy, did he let me down in the playoffs, <laughs> which I knew was coming, but... You know, it's like an inevitable thing. You see like a rock falling on you and you just don't move. Um, Daniel Hudson is the one that's most interesting to me there from a fantasy aspect. Like, first of all, I, we don't know what his role is going to be. Is Blake Trinan going to be the closer? Kenley Jansen's still a free agent. Could he come back? Who knows? But um, how I'm viewing it, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if it'll be Hudson and Trinan who just kind of take some save opportunities. Some of them take holds. So if you're in both save and holds leagues, then I think he'll have a lot of value. If not, then it's definitely a wait and see to see if he's actually the closer. But um, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen there with the Dodgers bullpen? It, I think Trinan will end up being the closer. I think Kenley Jansen is going to head over to the uh, Miami Marlins. That's my honest uh, guess, just based off reports that I've heard and uh, from my assumptions of things, too. I don't think Kenley Jansen's coming back, uh, especially after the Dodgers re-signed Chris Taylor. And, and yeah, I, I would say the one guy to watch out for, though, too, in, in this sense, because the Dodgers love their righty-lefty stag, stagger kind of situation. Since they lose Corey Knable, uh, he will have better opportunities with Hudson. But I think you're more likely to see Hudson probably in the seventh inning, and then you'll see Alex Vesia in the eighth inning. That, that's my honest guess, because they'll switch it up. But they may use Vesia as, uh, you know, you face a predominantly lefty lineup uh, in a certain inning. Uh, then he'll be used in that role. So it, it is, you're right. I mean, he's going to have hold opportunities. He's going to be in more of what we kind of called the Joe Kelly role uh, because Kelly is also a free agent. Um, but I, I do agree. I think if you're in a holds league, especially, he's got value. Uh, saves wise, he'll probably not get nearly as many. Um, he'll probably end up with four or five by the end of the year. But uh, that'll be on days that Trinan, you know, comes in and pitches two consecutive days and gets saved. So uh, expect that he will be used and he'll probably be used in a fairly prominent role. So yeah, I agree. I like that. Okay, drink, chug, pour out. The Giants also brought back Brandon Belt on a qualifying offer, so you can give your thoughts on that if you want. But uh, drink, chug, pour out the three Giants pitchers that they signed, Alex Wood, Anthony DeSclafani, and Alex Cobb. Yeah, I, I I like bringing Belt back on the qualifying offer, to be honest. I'm also not a Giants fan, but I will say from a you know a non-fan perspective, he, when he's healthy, he can produce, and um, his pop was unbelievable this past season. From a fantasy perspective, he's very ownable when he's healthy. And so um, I, I loved to see what he did at, at that ballpark. He uses that porch in, his, in right field to his advantage. Um, so I, I like what Belt has to offer. As for the pitchers, uh, for me, the one that I guess I would be drinking uh, is is probably God, I I would say Alex Cobb um, because I think Cobb can produce in that ballpark. It's just from a fantasy perspective, I I don't like his K per nine. That's the only issue. But if you're in a standard five for five league 
you know, that may actually be a decent pickup. Uh, he could be a streamable guy. Uh, Alex Wood, to me, is the chug. I like what he has to offer. I think he looked pretty good last year, um, and I think they're going to enjoy having him for another full season. And then as for Anthony, Anthony DiSclefani, I don't like the contract. I think he's fallen off from what he started out with last year. I'd probably pour that one out. Um, yeah, Di Scalfani is probably a pour out for me. I, I don't think he's going to get back to where he was last season. Um, Alex Wood is probably the stay the same. It, it's interesting. Like Alex Wood and Alex Cobb to me are both guys who I don't think you can count on to give you a ton of innings necessarily. Um, but if you combined them together and said combined Alex Cobb and uh, Alex Wood are going to give you 210 innings of work with like a low threes or a mid threes ERA, you'd be like all about that. So maybe honestly take both and just view them together as one pitcher. But um, honestly, the pitcher I like most of the three is Alex Cobb. He had a 2.92 FIP last year with the Angels. He went eight and three with a bad team, 3.76 ERA, had a K per nine at nine and a half. Um, whip wasn't great but it was in the one two so it wasn't terrible either i really like alex cobb and i think uh the giants who have done well with some of these one year or short term pitchers uh which i think cobb is a two-year deal um have done really well that gives me confidence that that's going to be a good signing for them from a okay, fantasy uh, speaking... from a fantasy perspective which of the three would you take um probably day even though i the, the thing is that's going for Dave Scalfani is I think he has the most innings. He'll pitch the most innings. But honestly, I might go Alex Cobb and just risk it with the... Because he's probably going to get injured at some point and hope that whatever you get out of him. But I think from like a ratio perspective, it's Alex Cobb. Um, okay, who would you rather have for one season? Boston gave James Paxton a one-year $10 million deal. Tampa Bay gave Corey Kluber a one-year $8 million deal. Philadelphia gave a reliever, Corey Kniebel, a one-year $10 million deal. And Boston gave Rich Hill a one-year $5 million deal. I will go based off health and everything else. I think Kniebel to the uh, the Phillies is no doubt for me the one, especially from a fantasy perspective. He was locked down with the Dodgers in his role. He's going to be the closer of that team. Uh, he's going to be getting saves. Uh, in not terribly long ago, he was Evil Knievel. So uh, I, uh, I think he's going to be brought back. He's going to fit the mood of Philadelphia, and uh, both in real life and from a fantasy perspective, I, I think I pick him. Although it is close because I like Corey Kluber also with Tampa. I think that he's going to have somewhat of a resurgent year if he can manage to stay healthy, but that is a big if. So that's why I'm going with Corey Knievel. I am 100% in agreement with both of those with you. Uh, Rich Hill should be solid, though. Um, James Paxton, I think, is bad, so that would be <laughs> my last answer. On to our shotgun six-pack. Number one, the team you've been most disappointed with in free agency is who? You could make the argument the Giants are in that category just because they're so close to winning and then they lose Buster Posey and they haven't really made that statement signing. However, I, I'm just going to strictly go with the team that really hasn't actually done anything, which is the New York Yankees. I'm, I'm kind of shocked by them, like that they've not made any single standard move that, that would help out their organization. Um, you know, normally by this point in time, they've made a signature signing. Uh, could they be in on Korea? I don't know. But uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to monitor what they do. I would say from the AL perspective, it's the Yankees. From the National League perspective, I would probably argue the Atlanta Braves, actually, because they they made a lot of moves at the deadline to help kind of give them the pieces to win the championship. And, you know, they haven't re-signed re anybody in that aspect. And Kirby Yates is their one signing, really. So I'm um, kind of curious to see what they do. 
Yeah, I, I mentioned how it's a little frustrating from the Giants' perspective. They have so much money they're sitting on. They have so much uh, being away from the uh, luxury tax that they could spend. And, like, it is, it's almost frustrating that you hear, like, okay, well, uh, you know, the front office views that, for instance, like Kevin Gossman, they think is worth $100 million over five years. And he gets five years, 110, and it's like, nope, we won't go above our, our budget. Like, they are, they are very stubborn, and it can be a good thing, but it can also be frustrating from that standpoint that you miss out on a guy like Max Scherzer or Kevin Gossman or Robbie Ray. Like, they could really use one of those frontline guys, and now those are pretty much all but gone. So that's um, a little bit frustrating. But overall, they still have, you know, gotten all those pitchers, and you brought back Brandon Belt. So I, I don't think it would be them. It's just, you know, it feels like there's something to be desired. For me, it would honestly... I. I Either the Yankees or I, I still think I mean there's opportunities for the Yankees. They could come out there and get Carlos Correa. For me, it's the Colorado Rockies. Uh, you, you weren't necessarily expected to contend or anything, but like try. Like why why were you not the team that went out and uh, basically made a a small deal to Clint Frazier instead of being like the Chicago Cubs? Like you should have gone out and got Clint Frazier. Give him a one year deal. Let him perform well. If he performs really well, you can either extend him. Or trade him at the trade deadline. And guess what? You're a hitter's ballpark. Like, why are you not taking flyers on some of these guys? And then we get into the the whole John Gray situation. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Trevor Story at this point. Um, like, I get it. You're not supposed to be good. But you should be churning the market for these low one-year rentals that you can trade at the deadline. Or young players who maybe could have a bounce-back season. And they're, they're just, like, not doing anything. And um, it's just very Colorado Rockies. Number two. <laughs> The team who has improved the most this offseason is who? Uh, I would say the Texas Rangers. I mean, they were nowhere near, you know, on the market. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, you watch out because when Josh Young comes up, I'm telling you, that lineup looks better on paper than I think people realize. Willie Calhoun, I think, is going to break out um, with having guys around him in that order. I, I just I think the Texas Rangers saw this as an opportunity to say, let's get two premier players um, and see what we can do from that. And uh, they probably have improved themselves by about 20 wins at least. So that's that's fairly significant in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, the, the Rangers. York... Go ahead. Oh, good. Uh, well, the New York Mets won 77 games last year. I think they win 90-plus this year, so I'll go with the uh, Mets. Because I think even though you, the Rangers might win more from last year to this year, I think the, the Mets won – has a higher impact on, right, you make the postseason and, and who knows what you can do from there with what you were mentioning earlier, how good of a, a postseason staff that can be just by having the two guys at the top. Okay, number three, the best fit remaining for Carlos Correa is blank. You you have to assume that the Yankees would be answer number one. Um, I kind of believe, actually, that the Tigers are still a fit even after signing Javier Baez. I, I really do. I think that they could do what the Rangers did, which is, you know, have Seager at short and uh, Semyon at second or third. And I think Correa could be the same mold where he goes to short and Javier Baez plays second. But who knows in that contract negotiation what that sounded like with Javier, if, if he would be willing to play second base. Uh, I, I think if Correa came over, he would. But uh, to me, I would say the best fits the Yankees. Um, but I think the second best fit is still probably either Houston or the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, I would go with Houston. Um, New York would, like you said, be a good one. How about this one? And I'm not just saying this because I'm a Giants fan, and 
but like I said, they have money to spend. Go get Carlos Correa. It would have to be at the standpoint of, like you said, he'd have to be comfortable playing second or third base because you have Brandon Crawford, who's you know multi-time Gold Glover at shortstop. Although he could play there when he has an off day, um, so you'd have to be fine with that. But is there a more hated player? for the Dodgers than Carlos Gray. I don't know, maybe it'd be Jose Altuve, but if you're talking about a rivalry that is already really good and was already really good this past season with how good both teams were, now you're adding some some fuel to the fire with Carlos Gray. You could not tell me Carlos Gray to the Giants to stoke that rivalry even more would not be good for baseball. I've thought about that, uh, that signing as well. And yeah, if Correa signs with the Giants, I think all hell breaks loose and, uh, some people just some men just like to watch the world burn and and I feel like that's that's what would happen with that signing so yeah I could see Farhan saying you know what this is going to be impactful for our city and uh on top of that that's going to really really piss off the people down south so yeah I I could I could definitely see that I'll also throw out the angels I think if the angels magically somehow dig in their pockets and they see money there they may just end up throwing as much as they can at Correa aimlessly like they did with the Rendo. All right, number four, which Chris would you rather have, Chris Bryant or Chris Taylor? You know, I, I would rather have Chris Bryant. He's younger. Uh, he can also play multiple positions as well. But that's not to take away from the fact that Chris Taylor had a really productive season. Uh, Playoffs-wise, he was very productive. But Chris Bryant was unbelievable in a series against the Dodgers in the postseason. And, uh, you know, he's an MVP. I mean, let, let's be honest. I, I will take the MVP. I'll take the guy that has the track record in a shorter period of time. And I think Chris Bryant still has a lot to offer. So I'd rather have Bryant. I take Bryant, but given the cost, like Bryant could cost, I don't know, he could get a Simeon contract, seven years, $170 million. If you're comparing that to Chris Taylor, I'd rather have Chris Taylor at the price, but Chris Bryant overall is the player. Uh, number five, whose free agency is now more interesting, Freddie Freeman or Trevor Story? Freddie Freeman's 100%. You would think the Braves have already retained him. They haven't. Uh, I've heard the Dodgers' name being called out for him. I would say there's plenty, probably about 29 other teams outside of the Dodgers that would uh, like his services. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw this one out here, too. What if the Texas Rangers magically have enough money in their pocket to, to score him, too? Or the Angels? Uh, one of those two teams, I think, could really be a threat. Mostly the Angels. Um because he's a California kid. The Giants he just brought back Belt, so obviously it's hard to see that one necessarily. But um, I would say Freddie Freeman's market is really bizarre right now, and uh, the Braves may have missed the window. Yeah, I, I think Freeman's is more interesting from like that perspective, but Stories is also very interesting just because it's like, we haven't heard much, and we don't really know what's going on there. We don't know how much he's going to get because he had kind of a down season. So uh, that one's also very unique. Number six, last one, Nick Castellanos. Say something about him. I like him. Uh, he, <laughs> he hits a lot of doubles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll be interested to see who he signs with. At, at this point, Rangers. like I said, Giants have to spend money on somebody. Maybe it's Rangers. Nick Castellanos. Um, oh, but yeah. I, I don't think he's going to have as good of a season as he did last year. Yeah, I can see that. Rangers. Cast the honest to the Rangers. Well, that is episode number 41 of Booze and Baseball. With Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Have a good rest of your day whenever you're listening to this. Enjoy. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And we'll talk to you next time Cheers. on Booze and Baseball.